Hey guys, welcome to episode 31 of the JV Club. I am delighted to report that this episode features the lovely Abigail Spencer, who is the um, other contestant that uh, Mark does not choose in Burning Love. If you've not watched Burning Love, I'm really sorry because I just ruined the last episode for you. But... Um, I uh, I love Abby, and uh, she's also uh, Victoria Eden, who manages the JV Club Twitter account. Reminded me that now I'm three for three with Mad Men cast members, people who have appeared on Mad Men. That ties us with community, having three people from that. So between um, Allison Brie and Christina Hendricks and uh, Abigail Spencer, I'm doing pretty well in that category, but I would love to get some of the m- other Mad Men women guys. So if you want to help me out with that, I encourage you to do so. I would love to get into some shout outs straight away, a uh, bit of a long list, but I just want to throw them out there because I fell behind a bit in some of the um, comments you guys have been sending in. Beautiful emails from Callie J and Alzac on Twitter. Special thanks to Benjamin C, Joanna V, Rachel S, Grant, Kyle, Sandra, Jacob B, Tresa on on Facebook, Andy W., um, who is very funny and sent me some videos to look at and uh, is quite talented and wonderful. Um, on the Jen Finneger, uh, Jen Finneger, really? It's important that you know that we are very close friends, so for me to get her name wrong is especially unacceptable. And I also almost said especially. It's a long day, guys. Um, on the Nerdist page for the Jen Finnegan episode, Mark, Todd, Shannon, Curtis, Renee, Scott, B, and PJ, thanks for weighing in with your marvelous comments and stories. And on the Cara Santa Maria episode, uh, on the Nerdist page, Joseph, Damon, Carolyn, Laser, Liz, Jared, W, Hess, Sarah, F, Mormon, Schmorman, Brandon, Bronwyn, Nerdy, Cellist. I want to thank all the regulars who uh, commented and weighed in on Aaron Gibson's episode, uh, Elizabeth R., Mike H., Jason T., and Richard on Facebook. Thank Thank you guys so much. Just a reminder that the JV Club will have its very first live episode with Busy Phillips and special musical guest Priscilla on on October 13th. That's a Saturday at 3 p.m. in Santa Monica. Visit LA Podcast Festival's website for more details. Um, I will make sure that we continue to tweet that information out and uh, add it to the Facebook page. Um, but it's going to be a really fun live show. I hope you guys, uh, those of you who are in the area, can make it. And I think that. That's it. Without further ado, I invite you to enjoy and relish Abigail Spencer. Now entering Nerdist.com. Very exciting because this is where we have we have got a reunion of the final two. Oh my gosh! Um, so much tension in the love. room. There's a lot of tension in the room. <laughs> Principally, has nothing to do with me wanting to have won Mark's heart. No, because, you just want me. Yeah, memory serves. <laughs> I think my character was gay, but uh, you're staring is, me down. Uh, you're making me feel really uncomfortable. I'm very Jared. sorry. I don't know. I should have taken a cold shower before you got here. I guess I'm not sure how I could have better managed this, but we are already. Ready in too deep. 
Um, Abigail Spencer, welcome. Thank Hi, you Janet. for sitting down with me on this fine Saturday. Oh my morning. gosh, how could I not want to sit in this amazing room with all of this crazy oh. stimulation? <laughs> There's a lot of gear in here. You see, weird, tiny. Butterfly-based mm. gear, and guys, I don't want it to sound like I live in a fairy garden. That's you, not what I'm you, saying. But <laughs> you, you and Tori Amos, there are twinkly fairies <laughs> everywhere and butterflies and stuff. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of bug specimens. Actually, yeah. is more what's going on. I feel strangely but, at peace with it, though. Yeah, okay, your place good. is beautiful. Thank, Thank you for you having so me. Much. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah, Rain we drops t- on roses. <laughs> I know. Seriously, <laughs> that's where we're going. It's funny you would say that because I'm going to the Sound of Music sing along tonight at the Hollywood Bowl. Are you me? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Are you serious? I can't wait. I'm so excited. No, seriously. Start it off now. Perfect. <laughs> That's <amazing>. perfect timing. <laughs> I was like, "What's that from again?" Oh, the thing I'm seeing tonight yeah. at the Hollywood. Are Bowl. you dressing up? Is it a dress? I'm up not, thing? but oh. there is a costume. Apparently, there's Element? a costume parade. Yeah, I didn't know because I've never been to this one. Um, I'm trying to think. I may have gone to the Grease sing along like years ago, oh, but uh, but I this one happens every single year, and I know people are like, oh, yeah. very I've hardcore it. about yeah. it. But I've never been, and my friend who invited me was telling me like, okay, this is the time that the costume parade starts. Pass. This is the time that like the opening show starts. Pass. Like there's only so much you can take. But I do enjoy that people uh, take it that seriously. And I will say that I'm crushed because I have to miss 80s night this year because I'm going to be shooting. But I went last year and I fully dressed up. I had uh, a Weird Al Yankovic when he used to take over um, MTV. I have an, um, an Al TV remember it well. t-shirt, right? I have an Al TV, a vintage Al TV t-shirt oh that belonged to Weird Al <laughs> because he gave it to Chris and then Chris gave it to me because no it was too small way. for them. So I have uh, a courtesy of Weird Al Yankovic, Weird Al Yankovic t-shirt oh my. on. Crimped I my hair. I saw him in line the other night. I went to the IFC screening amazing. of Sleepwalk With Me and oh, he was yeah. in line just waiting oh. to see the movie and I totally crashed. Like, I totally crashed the line. I was like, ah, <laughs> I just want to see the movie. So. Uh, I love Al. Okay, yeah. So you wore crimped my Al. hair, oh, mini skirt. Uh, I might have been wearing double socks. I oh feel like gosh. maybe I like pushed down and had like the two bunchy socks at the bottom. I think I root, like rooted out of Swatch Watch that I have that doesn't even have a battery. Oh, that makes and I me went so happy. So I did do it. And I think I thought more people would be dressed up. And then I got there <laughs> and it was like, you know, the Hollywood Bowl's big and it was sold out. I'm yeah. going to say maybe five to 10% of people were dressed up. <laughs> So we were like, those of us who were dressed up were sort of looking at each other from a distance like, kudos, appreciate it. You're in my tribe. And everyone else was just shaking their heads like, I cannot believe you guys did this. That's amazing. But I've never danced so much in my life to the B-52s. They are the best. They might love shack. I've never seen the whole entire Hollywood Bowl on their feet, dancing. It was Gosh. amazing. And I don't even like, I love the B-52s, but not in a way where I listen to them. It's like, if they come on the radio, you listen. Well, but I don't listen to their albums. It's, I mean, it's like, I, when I think of the B-52s, I just remember when music television was in its inception and Absolutely. I was dancing in my parents' living room. We lived on stilts too. So every like movement I made oh. was like almost shook the house. But I just remember oh. that video so vividly and memorizing every move yes. and like, you know, swinging heads oh, and yes. like, and I'm like, that's what people do. They get into to a shack and they dance they shimmy shimmy <laughs> they shimmy. shimmy they still have they've still got it and live they are sensational no i was not i was just like oh this will be a fun campy thing to do with my evening and um and instead i ended up like i couldn't stop dancing the b 2s and everyone felt the same way and everyone was like 
is this the best live band I've ever seen? And it's a band that you just like feel affection towards, but don't care that much about yeah. until they're playing live. And then somehow you're like, this is the best show I've ever been to. That's so fun. It was cool. But that's this wonderful. year, I don't think I'm going to be able to go. And it's, and the Go-Go's are playing. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's that's, bad. That's it's bad to me. What night is the 80s thing? Next Saturday. Oh, that's really fun. I'm yeah. not in town, but that's really fun. Yeah. I try to do more stuff like that to sort of love LA in that way. You know, that's, I feel like I'm having kind of that moment where I'm really falling in love with being here. I've been here, I started out in New York. I moved to New York when I was 17 and I was on a soap opera. That was my first job. So I was on All My Children for the first three years of my <laughs> professional life, Ooh. which was like such a, like a, a left a left turn yeah. for me because I was going to go to Carnegie Mellon and I started out in musical theater. I was a dancer and Ryan King who was Bob Fosse's protege was my mentor. And so I kind of thought that was the, the route I was going. I moved to New York was on the soap opera and then meandered out to California because I come from a surfer family. My dad is a very famous yeah, where professional was the house surfer. on stilts. <laughs> the house on stilts. It was in a really small town called Gulf Breeze, Florida, on okay. the Gulf Coast. It's basically Florida, nice Bama. Town, Gulf, Gulf Breeze. Breeze. It's beautiful. Like it's like the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen in my life. And now that I've been around the world and seen other beaches, I I still hold true to that statement. Oh, beautiful nice beaches. I was just there this weekend. But and say so, again where where it is. Gulf, I it's you. right. It's like right on the border between Alabama and Florida. Okay. They literally call it Florabama. Florabama. Yeah. All that's, right. So that's where I'm from. And uh, my family, we own surf shops along the Gulf Coast of Florida called Interlight Surf Shop. So so I came out to California. Um, was New York must have been such a huge change for you? Oh, oh my! Gosh. It was all my dreams came true. Like and one, like I was a kid going to go to Carnegie Mellon and get my theater degree and do that and do the normal route. You know, when you want to be an artist, you're like you go to a conservatory, you go to a school, and you get lots and lots of training, and they totally deconstruct you and then build you back up, and then you're released out into the world and you you know work and become famous. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the route. And Instead, I, yeah, no, it was um, not become famous. Like I think it, from my small town, I'm like everyone's famous, you know. And then, no, my dream was to move to New York and you know be a be a working, not just a working, but I think be able to support myself mm-hmm. as an artist and like boom, like I this casting director, I was seeing the audience of a talk show. It was Regis and Kathy Lee at the time. She talked to me on air. The casting director saw me, called the host, called Kathy Lee, said, I love that girl you were talking to in the audience. I would love to meet her. She ended up being from the South. I'm from the South. We connected. She was like, well, you should go to NYU because then you can be an extra on the show anytime you want. And I'm like, I was like, I don't think I can handle living in New York and being an extra. (laughs) But she remembered me. Um, she remembered me a few months later and asked me to fly up for a screen test for the show. And, um, I, that was when I was like in the middle of my auditions for all the conservatories and, um, (laughs) and I turned her down. I was like, Judy, (laughs) I'm doing a one act festival. I'm playing Rizzo in Greece. I'm choreographing the school play. I've, I've got all of my league auditions for all the schools. And I just don't really think I have time to audition for you. You know, I mean, I was so like, literally you could just see me like with a long cigarette, just like, you know, like rolling calls or whatever. Uh, I turned her down. I was like, she's never, ever, ever going to reach out to me again. Like a few weeks later, she's like, I just can't get you out of my mind for this role on this show. Would you just put yourself on tape? I'll send you some sides. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. And she's like, why not? I don't know what sides are. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, so the you know the whole guys, thing those are the out. pages of the script the pages of the script the pages of the script i just, just worked with with them. uh with uh you know plays yeah, of course. <laughs> i didn't know what sides were either I when didn't. i first came down here someone was like let me fax you the sides and i was like okay back up yeah and and, and now we're like what's a fax <laughs> 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 you know this is was, how life changes it does change quickly and you know i was just didn't know anything about anything and um put myself on tape they ended up flying me up for a screen test i found that i had gotten into carnegie mellon so i was just like so stoked about that and this was like a super bonus fun trip because i said i would come to the audition if they would fly my dad up with me and take us to a broadway show and so oh, they did an and, and he lo- <laughs> he loves a He's a Civil War buff, and they had Civil War the musical on Broadway at the time, so that's what we went and saw. There was a musical called Civil War? Yeah, it was, and actually Dave Clemens, who was the musical director, was my voice teacher when I was um, studying with Anne Ryan King. So it was just like all of the synergy was happening at the time of my life, like three days in New York, put up at the Empire Hotel in Lincoln Center, and um, I auditioned with like, like the the men on the show... I had never seen people like this. Like I didn't know that people existed. Like literally, like ch- like chiseled from stone <laughs> men that like like that just come out of the walls. Like in the Mummy. Like remember those like all those characters that like come out of the walls. Like that's what it felt like. And I was seventeen. Like yeah, you know, just in high school. I was I was a big dreamer. That's for sure. And I loved just everything about art in general. Well, and, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. let's go back a little bit further because I love I love that idea and um. We've definitely had some musical theater. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had musical theater uh, friends on the podcast. We've had people who were like the, you know, um, high school like angry nerds who hated musical theater people. Yeah. We've had, we've had, we've had a little bit of everything. Um, and I, I realized so part of way along the way. I loved doing musical theater when I was younger, but I suddenly realized for the first time d- during this podcast a few months ago that I, we didn't do musicals in my high school. Oh. So I just, I'm like, oh, oh, I, I guess we never did a single musical yeah. in high school. Like That's that was over for me because <laughs> high school, we just did plays. Oh. Well, um, but okay. So the house on stilts was in mm. uh, Gulf Breeze. Yes. And, um, and you have, uh, tell me about your siblings again. I have two brothers. I have yeah. a little brother, Sterling Spencer, who actually is an internet sensation. He's a super famous surfer. Um, I'm, all of my family is like the surf culture. And that's how I ended up in California was following the surf after my time in New York. But he, he has a, uh, uh, I guess a blog called pinch TV and he's sponsored by Billabong and Verizon. And he made a full, a feature length, hilarious it's basically like surf comedy in the oh, wow. in the vein of napoleon dynamite meets flight of the concords but it's surf stuff i gotta write this down and he he made a movie called surf madness that like over a million people have watched and and he's just so funny i mean he really has an incredible following and he's he's you know basically what people are doing with funny or die he's injecting that into the surf culture that's super cool yeah so he's not famous for contest surfing he's famous for i mean he's an amazing surfer but he's he makes these incredible movies. So that's my little brother, Sterling Spencer, and I have an older brother, Yancey Spencer, who is also an incredible surfer and lives in my hometown. When when you when we talk about these sort of family legacies of stuff mm. like that, was is there is there ever a time when you know kids with their parents 
sort of go, yeah, you guys do this. Like, I get it. You own surf shops. Maybe I'm not going to be that person. Or is it just so ingrained in the sort of DNA of your family that that never even came into play? Was it just like, yep, we surf. Like, that's what we do. Because I love this. That's something beautifully spiritually simplistic about that. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that other people didn't have this like incredible existence <laughs> you know yeah. I saw my dad every day my mother was an artist and a folk singer and a voice teacher and she plays like seven different instruments and you know I come from this really really very spiritual and very connected family and um well what basically what happened was I started surfing when I was three years old you know I mean I, I see it with my son you know I have a four-year-old and you know the things that I'm interested in and things I'm doing you naturally just kind of go along for the ride and see if it's something that they're interested in as well if they have an adeptness to it and yeah so I started surfing when I was three and my dad was stoked he was like yes this is happening I have a surfer daughter this is amazing <laughs> and then my mother who like maybe went to the beach twice in her life. Um, she was like, I really don't want her to get skin cancer. Can she do anything else? <laughs> so my dad put me in dance class because he felt like it was kind of like land surfing. And, and I really, and once I found that, it was like, that was it. And my dad loved the arts. So I think he felt like, okay, you know, she doesn't have to be a server and she has, she's so interested in dance and singing. I mean, it was just really natural. It was natural in the home and, was it like um, ballet at first? Yeah, it was like yeah. tap, ballet, jazz, like whatever. I mean, I just wanted to move. Really, it was solid gold. <laughs> Until, nice. Like my parents would like at three would catch me like finding solid gold and like <laughs> literally like trying to like, you know, drop my pelvis to the floor. And my mother's <laughs> like, Satan be gone. You know, like she was like, so concerned. She was like, oh my gosh, my daughter's a heathen. Um, and you know, from this really small town on the Gulf Coast. And, and also too, you know, my dad traveled the world surfing, but he always always came back home he has this real sense of community and then built the surf shops there and you know surfing is it's like being a professional athlete in any other capacity it's just it's it's just kind of um more off the beaten path people just don't know what it's like it's very counterculture you know it's it's counterculture and so I didn't realize I was being raised counterculture my whole life and and then now I'm like the black sheep of the family because I pursued you know art and all of all I guess the entertainment aspect of it but now my little brother is coming back around and I'm not the black sheep at all I didn't realize it was art all along you know the way my dad viewed surfing and the way that he viewed um, his life as a surfer was really like an artist you know it's such a soul thing to be a surfer to, to really devote your life to the surfer's way it comes from your soul and I I feel the same way when about art and you know in any capacity like from burning love like to everything you know everything yeah. is just like has this and I feel like the people I don't know if you feel this way but the people that I've been able to align myself with are really like just really deep individuals and Absolutely. are able to channel that in a lot and of you different could so tones. easily not we've talked about this on the podcast before but you could so easily not have that in LA yeah you can choose you have your pick of the most superficial most plastic most kind of poisonous relationships mm-hmm. to have with friends or, or colleagues or whatever in Los Angeles and then you also have your choice all the way down the line to like some of the most profoundly brilliant beautiful searching oh my gosh well I think sensitive people that's maybe like kind of how we got in this whole rant I think was like refalling in love with LA that there's so much available to us and I feel like that's a part of it so far from that I could not have told you that no I just I think that's I think that's why I'm refalling in love with all the opportunities there is there is this fantastic feeling of seeking you know my dad always 
talked about surfing was that, you know, being a professional seeker, you know, that you're always in the water and in the waves and you're always seeking nature. You're always seeking and being connected to something bigger than yourself. And we are very fortunate that there is such a counterculture within LA that really is developing that. I mean, I almost don't even see the plastic side of how people associate LA. I don't, I don't even know it. And maybe that's why I'm falling deeper in love with it. And, and I, I don't spend a lot of time here, actually. Like, I'm here maybe half the time because everything that's shooting right now is not in L.A. But yeah. I'm really enjoying this being my base, you know. And 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 also, like, I even wrote a thing, because I know that you are the, the host on the Huffington Post live series. But they asked me to do a piece of, like, when did you know that Los Angeles was going to be your home? And it was so funny. I think it was this thing where I realized I just couldn't leave because my home was the people. You know, I've just found the most incredible group of people here. And, and wherever I go, I see them in LA. You know, people are very transient in LA too. So in, And in understanding of like, in, I think that's one of the things that's so lovely. And maybe this happens everywhere as we, as we grow older and everybody has lives and kids and, you know, things that tie them to those responsibilities. But I feel like, there's such an understanding in Los Angeles. The flip side of that is that like we can all flake on each other totally. and everyone's fine. And so then you don't see people for that reason, yeah. but, but you, that you it's know, those, everybody society. understands and that mm-hmm. it's nomadic and that you can have a fiercely passionate friendship with someone and not ever see them, yeah. but know that that foundation is so strong mm-hmm. and that there's an understanding about kind of what this life is like, that you sort of carry those people with you Absolutely. in a way that, you know, feels very fortunate. And we are, you know, the luxury, I know this is kind of the constant dichotomy about communication in our present culture is that we have so much access to communicating and yet it's all through texting and it's all through like sending pictures and it's all through media and you know are we actually communicating are we actually connecting but I've become so grateful I mean my relation like you said you can have like these intense in-person encounters with people and then you go away for a while but my gosh like my iPhone has become so precious to me because I'm like that's how I keep the connectivity alive and I'm really grateful for all of that and I think it is possible to have immensely deep relationships in in our town you know I definitely feel it and it seems like you've the same I definitely do it's like soul food it absolutely is like it feeds you man it feeds you (laughs) come on Tyler Perry let's make a movie (laughs) maybe we've been shooting too much in Georgia between the two of us um I just got back from Georgia I was there for three months shooting uh I do like it down there that's where dinner and a movie shot too so I did that for like whatever, seven years. Now I can't remember how long I was on that show. Oh seven yeah, that's maybe. right. Um, okay. So was your mom's music something that like played a key in your love of music or was it just totally separate? Well, my mom was singing every day while I was in the womb and she, she <laughs> did. Sure. Oh gosh. Yeah. That I mean, totally fits with everything you've told me so far about oh, your family. She, and she has one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard. I mean, if she didn't have terrifyingly wonderful stage fright she she, oh yeah yeah she probably would have been one of the most famous singers ever she's in the vein of like you know judy collins and Joni mitchell and so i heard a lot of that growing up you know a lot of beautiful folk songs and and she plays seven different instruments and she has her major in the string bass oh like it's hilarious it's this you know five six like 110 pound woman with like hair beyond her bottom playing the stand-up string bass (laughs) 
<laughs> I wish I had footage to look at. Um, and more. a unibrow. There was like a total unibrow. Like it was a unibrow braces. Like, and I was like her reincarnated <laughs> in high school. Like. We were really cool, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we were super cool. Definitely not nerds. Yeah, t- totes knots nerds. Uh, so, Seven instruments. Yeah. yeah, she's super. She's she's kind of brilliant. And does she still artist. play just for the? Yeah, actually, I was just in Florida this past weekend, and she was serenading me with. Um, she finally because she sang me bits and pieces of Suzanne by Leonard Cohen, which is actually the song that inspired my character on Mad Men. And my mother sang that to me my whole life, and I had no idea that my character was based on that song. And then halfway through Mad Men, Matt Weiner sat me down and he was like, you know, have I shared with you the inspiration behind your character? And I was like, and I I felt like he was going to say something that was going to like be so familiar because I remember getting the pseudo sides that they send you for the audition, you know, where they mask all the names and make it seem like you're not actually going in for that character, but you totally are. And, um, I knew even just from those sides, I knew that I knew this woman. I just knew her. And, and then when he told me that it was based on that song, I, I just burst into tears. He's such an intuitive, magical writer. And yeah, just the fact that that, you know, was congruent in, in, in my life and in what Matt had seen for the character was just really moving. Um, so I grew up with a lot of that. And then my mother was totes old schools. <laughs> Just going <laughs> to make everything plural. Um, w- with movies. So I really only saw classic movies like Summerstock, Judy Garland, Summerstock. I'll never forget when she bopped up on that farm stage in her tuxedo jacket and started singing, forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You know, and like my mom and I are like dancing and singing, you know, along with Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand, funny girl. I mean, I just didn't know that it was possible to see a woman be so glamorous and so beautiful and so funny and so geeky and so talented, you know? So my mother was a huge influence in sure. introducing me to a lot of my musical influences. Those Barbara Streisand movies. What a badass. Oh my gosh. She's just so It incredible. took me a long time. See, I did not see any Barbara Streisand movies until I was in probably in my very early 20s. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get it. I mean, yeah. I got, I guess I sort of got it, but it was one of those things where... I I think I just knew her older, so mm-hmm. I thought of like her with the nails and yeah. like the sort of that was a running thing. Um, but. you know, all of that and, and I just had not seen I think I I made the conscious decision not to like her without having ever seen her younger. I was like, I won't mm-hmm. like her. Yeah. And then I finally saw probably mm-hmm. Funny Girl or um oh, what's that one with Ryan O'Neill? The uh The Way We Were. No, no or, that's or on Redford. a clear day on a clear day i can't this one was like a screwball comedy hmm. where it involves like a suitcase that they they all have matching suitcases i think buck henry wrote it anyway Gosh, I it's like a total one. screwball wackadoo comedy it's really cheeky and silly, but oh it's gosh. so funny and so the, her timing is so amazing. Oh my gosh, and her timing is she's so, so flirtatious amazing. with him in the in the, that just clever like back and forth repartee mm-hmm. kind of way. And I definitely was like, oh my gosh, I've been completely missing out on this. Like I can't believe I made a decision yeah. about her that was so wrong. From <laughs> that I missed all this time that I could have been loving her. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> you know what? It's all right. <laughs> I started to get through early. This. I was like five or six years old when I started watching her and. And it was like, you know, you just kind of lose your mind when you see someone like that. She was so influential. Liza Minnelli, I mean, all of those, all of those gals were what I watched. So that was, you know, going back to my mother, just in her influence, she was just a, 
you know, even still, she just seems like a total throwback. I mean, you see her, and she made all of my clothes growing up too, and she still makes a lot of her own clothes, and and she just is that shape, you know, that like classic kind of Mad Men-esque shape in her hair. She looks like Jackie O, it's darker, and she's, she's a total like screwball. Like she's super quirky. Like all my friends are like, your mom is a character. And I, I know, I know she's dresses like a, you know, character out of Mad Men, but she acts like Barbara Streisand and God, she's funny. She's really funny. And your parents are still together. Did I ask you that? I can't remember. My father passed away very suddenly last year on Valentine's day. Um, but they were together 34 years. And, um, so it's been about a year and a half since his passing and yeah, they were like such an incredible love story for me to see. I'm so sorry. How was she doing? I mean, obviously, how are you doing? Yeah, how is she doing? Well, you know, um, terrible. I mean, you know, there's like there's an element of we're terrible, you know, because right. it's such a devastating sudden loss, you know. But then there's this whole grace that comes with it. You know, my father actually died surfing at County Line when he was out here visiting me on Valentine's Day last year, and he came out because I was going through a particularly hard time, and to be with my four year old son and. Um, and he started having a heart attack while he was surfing at one of his favorite surf spots on one of the most beautiful days. I remember him calling me. My dad would call me to tell me the surf report wherever he was. And he kept journals of every single day of what the surf was, even if it was flat or whatever. He kept a journal of every single day for, I mean, at least, I would say, 25 years of journals of just how the surf was every day. And he gave the surf report every morning on the Gulf Coast and... So on his way driving out there from my house to Malibu, he called me. He was like, hey, you know, we should get dinner tonight. It's Valentine's Day. You're my Valentine today. Been 10 years since we'd actually been in the same space on Valentine's Day. And then he he said that it was the most knocked down, beautiful day. And probably the best he had seen the surf at County Line in many years. And couldn't wait to get in the water. And... And they called me about an hour and a half later, which is pretty soon, you know, when you have the whole afternoon to surf. And um, he had started having a heart attack in the water and he made it up. Um, you have to kind of have to walk up a cliff to where he had my car and he grabbed his phone and he called me and said, Abby, I'm having a heart attack. And, you know, obviously I fell to my knees in disbelief. Uh, I need you to call 911. Um, I love you and pray. Then he hung up the phone, and about ten minutes later, he was gone. So it's been quite a year, you know. And and the and kind of the you know pretty poetic passing, looking out at the waves that changed his life. He found surfing when he was fifteen, and totally changed his life. And and he also was holding my mother's Valentine's Day card that she had sent him when the fire because the fire chief made it to him before he. Um, had slipped away and and he was holding it and he wasn't in any pain he said he just said that by the time the ambulance got there as soon as they pulled the gurney out he just was gone it was like you know he just said it was a really sudden and, and peaceful passing and so yeah it just it's been a it's been a year so my mother's very strong you know we just my little brother just got married and I was just there for the wedding and we put my father's headstone on his grave and and it was like having my mom and my brothers, I have an older brother too, um, you know, being there because my, my brother's, my little brother's five years younger, my older brother's seven years older. 
so we didn't really like grow up buddy buddy like we weren't friends but it's so funny to go back and like they're just crazy people like in the best way so fun like an incredible spirit so when i say that it was a graceful passing you know i think we feel a lot of grace because his life was so wonderful you know seven thousand people came to his funeral and oh my god it was a big surf paddle out and it's kind of crazy too because i did this movie called chasing mavericks um which is about this kid named jay moriarty who also had a very early you know before his time death true story curtis hansen directed and when they cast me in the movie because Jennifer Connelly and Robin Wright Penn <laughs> couldn't do it. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Um, um, they... You are not the same age as either of them. <laughs> but, okay. No, I know. I know. I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, I'd be their backup dancer any day, you know? Sure, sure. Um, All due respect to them. I just right? make an observation for, right. the, for, some, for anybody yeah, that's who so interesting. would be doing the math in their head. Going, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't put that together. Yeah. But thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I am... Um, I went, you know, I got this movie and they had no idea that who my dad was. So when I got cast and showed up on set for the makeup and hair test, I got to tell them my story about my father and how I came to the movie. And we just were all sobbing, like, you know, because Jay's story is really moving. And he started a whole movement called Live Like Jay about doing things that feel beyond your reach. You know, this kid, fatherless kid who gets taken in by a surf coach named Frosty Hessen who rides these secret huge waves and ends up changing like a whole community's, not only this boy's life, but a whole community. Um, just to see someone have a, a, did a I dream. Did you see the trailer so. for this? Probably, yeah. I did, in the yeah. theater I yeah, saw, come, and I got oh, excited, yeah. and I think I shouted your name out, oh. and people were like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I, so the, it's so crazy, like, you know, they have this tradition of a paddle out in the surf world, and it's a really beautiful spiritual tradition where everyone shows up at the beach with their boards, and you go out in the water, and, and everyone has flowers, and you release all of these flowers and we did it on a cross, you know, into the water and there were a thousand people in the water and then like 6,000 people on the beach that showed up for this paddle out. And oh. the day before 2000 people came to my father's funeral and it's just crazy. Cause he was such a quiet person, you know, he was super shy and he was definitely just someone who lived what he said and said what he lived and he didn't do it in a loud way, but he lived you know, he lived in a space where acts of kindness were what spoke for him. And man, man, it's like when you when you see that, like, because he was not outgoing. Oh my gosh! Like that, your life really can touch people without you having to say very much. That it really is about the the way you live, um, not how you say you live. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been oh such a weird time, gosh. you know. It's been a lot of personal tragedy, and then and then in work, it's been a lot of triumph. You know, I'm just so grateful to be an artist, and I think you know what we were talking about earlier. Like, I've been really grateful for the Los Angeles community. You know, I've I've received incredible acts of kindness from people that I've worked with here and my community here, in, in ways that I didn't know were possible of the human spirit. So I think that's maybe made me a bit more entrenched in 
you know, feeling like Los Angeles ever engulfs me into saying I'm home. Yeah. Um, it's definitely home base. It sneaks up on you. Yeah. I think at least it did for me. Yeah. Yeah. Totally did. I, the first two years were terrible. <laughs> like, I was not, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like I always tell you, I'm like, just give it two years, but it takes a lot of work. You know, you have to put yourself in harm's way. And I think you also have to put yourself in environments where you might find like-minded people yeah. that you'd like to be around. Well, I know we <laughs> talked about that because I do. And I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't know that I said it in this these words, but I've said it on the podcast before, which is that I feel like Los Angeles has the ability to turn you into the best version of yourself or the worst. Yeah. You can either become incredibly superficial and believe everything that you're told or not told. Or everything that you think about yourself or people every tell you about ba- yourself. Every bad thing that you think about yourself Very or every inflated. good thing that you think, you know. <laughs> yeah. And just, um, and yeah, and just like the artifice of that both on both sides, like the sort of narcissism on both sides. Like people think that, you know, if you're narcissistic, that it just means that you think you're amazing, but it doesn't. It also means you think everything's your fault. So... Yeah. You sort of you're just so self obsessed that yeah, you think yeah. everything's about you. So if somebody's shitty to you, you're like, "What did I do?" Yeah, but if, yeah. You do, but if someone's like happy, then you're like, "No, nah, I'm pretty great." Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like, and and this 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 city can't this industry can't. I shouldn't say city. That's not fair to people who live here who don't do what we do. But yeah, the the industry. There, I'm has sorry. The wait, there are people who live here that don't do what one we or do. two. Uh, I'm going to have to go talk to Mrs. Stern next door. Uh, don't go to a coffee shop for prove years. me. Yeah, don't go. To, you will only see laptops and I will be proven wrong. But, um, but yeah, but or, I, you know, yeah. or you can, or you can, or that same thing pro- causes you to have to project forth more grace and, and combat and, and deal with yourself more authentically mm. than anything else. Like when I lived in San Francisco, I just didn't, I didn't have to think that much hmm, about as challenged. Yeah. I just, ways. I mean, I just wasn't. And right. that's hard. I yeah. mean, it's hard to, to have that kind of constantly put on you when you first come down here. Yeah. But if you do the work, I feel like you could, you can be a stronger kind of more beautiful version of yourself too. I hope, you know, yeah. I think that's, I just think we have a lot of opportunities people. for, for to be the greatest or the worst version of ourselves in this town, because there's just a lot of opportunity here. You know, I mean, I would say it's definitely the most charitable community that I've ever been in. Um, but you know, and yet there's the greatest amount of poverty within yeah. miles. So I, I think it's just that dichotomy of, you know, like of being great, and then also being in the ghetto, you know, I mean, like Venice is like a perfect example of it right now. You know, there it's, you know, Google just moved there. It's totally building up. You can feel it in the air excitement. And then like the poorest of our community live on the next street over or, um, inhabit the area. So it's just, it's just really interesting. We're just an interesting dichotomy where we all live amongst each other. Um, and this really, interesting way and but at the same time it's still so much more spread out than like what you see walking the streets of new york or chicago or san francisco it's like it's urbanized in a different way like you mean it's more coagulated yeah well yeah i mean just you know you you like venice is a good example of a concentration where you really see the overlap but there are also so Mm. many areas in los angeles where you don't see the overlap like you go into brentwood you'll you barely know that anybody was you know yeah Poor. Yeah. Um, poor. Well, poor. and I know how much it costs to live in Brentwood, so yeah. you ain't poor. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I've looked gravi- for houses there. So. You, did you gravitate towards Venice because of the kind of surf culture and stuff? Did you ever live over there? Yeah. Well, I actually, it was between the 
establishment that we're sitting in right now, which is which lovely. We'll, <laughs> that's right, guys. Side note, now that we've just outed ourselves, we had to oh. split this into two. Oh, no. Abby and I got on such a tangent <laughs> when we were recording the other day that we both ran out of time oh and she had gosh. to leave. So this is actually the part round like two. the second part we picked back up. And it's uh, later at night. So home. if we sound really, if there's really like, low, yeah, yeah. If there's, and if there's crickets in the background, <laughs> also know that we, it's not like I don't have a cricket wind. farm. Yeah. Um, I did. It was between this place and a place in Venice um, that I was looking at. And I thought this place was just a little bit more central and seemed a little bit better fit. And also a friend of mine swooped in and got it before that. Oh. It was like literally between me and a friend. Oh, and he wow. kind of got there first. So I deferred to him. Um, but it was really funny. <laughs> I deferred to him. But I, I was the reason he got it because he never would have had any fire under him to go after that place if I wasn't like looming. I was like, I'm I'm going to get that place. Yeah. You get it. I'm deferring to your first right of refusal, but I'm going to get that place. So he got it. And then I live here. So it's kind of funny. It's so funny. It's like when they say that, you know, if you're in, in retail, they used to say that if somebody touches touches a, like picks up something that hasn't been picked up in a really long time and puts it down even if they don't buy it it's gonna sell like a couple <gasps> really? of days later no way there's just like people there Magic. was this sort of it is like a, i mean I, that seems ridiculous to put on to uh something like retail sales but i always worked for like i i was super into home furnishings and stuff mm. and that was sort of what i thought i was gonna do oh Everybody, really these guys all know this but um so it was always like very kind of ABC carpet and home mm. sort of like touchy feely. Well, I can see by your art, place. I mean, your place yeah, is I mean, beautiful. Like, I, well, yeah. so is this one, but, um, it was all flea market, but stuff. they would talk about like energy, like the mm. energy, especially in fact, flea market stuff is a great example the I, energy yeah. of stuff where there's just one of it mm-hmm. and the energy that like, if somebody pays attention to something and like loves it, yeah. a lot of people believe even in, the, even in like something you would think as being such a sterile, like, ew, retail sales, mm-hmm. people are like, that has an energy to it. And somebody Ooh. else will feel that and pick up on it. And then it sells like the same day. If it's like a vase or an old table or wow, whatever. Oh, that's so interesting. Kinda I've interesting. never thought about that, but I, that makes so much sense. And I spend a lot of time, um, my friends have this place around the corner called Teeny, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, on Fairfax yeah. and this um, is not Ikea, right? This is not Ikea. Yeah, and I've it, definitely gotten a bunch of stuff yeah. from there before they had a storefront when they were just when you they were just a website and uh-huh. you would just like go meet them and they yeah. would roll up a garage and Alex say this is what you saw online. He's a friend of mine and he um got me really thinking about this because I'm definitely, you know, I'm I'm a fan of the nostalgia movement. It's what I call it like the hipstamatic and yeah. even Instagram, you know, there's something about and and I think after my father's passing there is something of me that longs for a simpler longs for that, you know, that thing. Like I have these pictures of him, you know, when I was little from the 70 or, you know, from late seventies, early eighties and, or even just him with my older brother. And there's just something about the film over it that just seems like it'll last forever. So I feel that way about everything. (laughs) And, and so everything in here is like, I mean, nothing costs like, I mean, it's all cost nothing, but it's just, yeah, it's like, oh, I found that, you know, I found that or like this light over here, like that was like 300 bucks at the Fairfax flea market. Yeah. We're looking at this industrial light that literally looks like restoration hardware, you know, mummified it and like expensified it and turned it into some art piece and 
I got for like three hundred dollars at yeah. that, and I just I'm so proud of that. No, <laughs> like, absolutely, it's uh, such a, I a win. love that. I love stuff with a history. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to Surfing Cowboys on? Apple yeah, Kinney? I have. That seems like I mean yeah. now. Listen, I don't mean to like attach every surfing no. thing ever to you because of that, but I have that's like a, a perfect example. I saw of someone that wearing a shirt of, that said Surfing Cowboys Day. That's I think so they do. They that. have this whole sort of. Um, quote, I'm looking quote for my line. bottle of water, guys. I'm rustling through my bag. Oh, right okay, now. <laughs> it's um, like a gun. Uh, <laughs> it's not even that important. I'm not like dying of thirst, but I just thought if I could find it, and you I just did. my water. Found it. Oh, there it is. Okay, you're um, so like me. Why do why do girls? Why do we put bottles of water where it could unattach itself from its cap and spill everywhere and get no all idea. over our stuff with our computers and our iPads and our iPhones and all of our makeup and all of our lives? Let me get our bag and say I also have a salad <laughs> that I got from Whole Foods on my way here but that's also sitting next this to everything. This is identical that's like the to my life. I know, but I do that too. Mm-hmm. Why do we do that? And I'm going to go a step even further and say <laughs> I will always set a glass or a bottle right next to my computer keyboard <laughs> with the full knowledge that I am extremely clumsy. I can't tell you how many times I've knocked water onto my oh. keys. So many times. I think I've ruined like three computers by oh, doing that my gosh, and I've yes. never learned. I just knocked it over. I don't know what I it is, it. but it, it, I find great comfort in this. What just happened. Yeah. Don't just, I find great comfort. Not I'm like, to worry. I'm like, oh, she's got a salad, a yogurt, oh, mat, a bottle of water. I might as well have like an open bottle of cold cream in there. Like, <laughs> ah, I just forgot to put the cap on. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? I'm trying to think what the grossest thing is that I've spilled in my purse. Like, <laughs> just like, that's a good question too. I feel like, boy, all it takes is like one day of me grabbing a handful of trail mix for some reason, or like putting it in a bag. It doesn't matter. Somehow, I'll end up with sunflower seed bits <laughs> for. <laughs> Months in my car seat too, months. like all oh, over yeah. my car, in my jeans and my hair. But there's got to be something because you have a little boy, and there's got to mm-hmm. be something, kind of like someone used this expression that I had forgotten about from Winnie the Pooh uh, about a year ago. They were like, "Hey, you know what? It's fun because they said, oh, I just got this shirt. Now I have mustard on it. I'm always getting mustard all over everything. Say so a lot of mustard. <laughs> I can't explain why. I don't really know, but I do enjoy mustard." <laughs> And it's, it's and I'm also a klutz, so it's a bad combination. Okay. I wish I liked just white vinegar and seltzer water. But um, <laughs> I like mustard too. I'm always like, oh, I just got mustard on this, and someone was like, and I just got this, and someone was like, yeah, you just gave Tigger the keys, which is, I guess, because the idea is that you, when you have something brand new, if you're too anal retentive mm. about keeping it perfect then you won't even really enjoy it because you'd be so anal about it. Mm. But if you give Tigger the keys and Tigger messes, like crashes mm-hmm. your car, gets a scratch on something yeah. or whatever, then you've, then you've, then the damage is done. Then it's like, look, from this get go, I knew that it wasn't going to stay perfect. Yeah. And then I could just enjoy it and kind of be comfortable in my skin and my own space with it or whatever. And, um, and so I think that I, going back to the idea of having a kid, I would, I guess I would hope too that if we are the kind of people who are sort of a mess, mm-hmm. that it's maybe better when you have a kid because you're not that person going in that's like, don't touch that, don't do that, don't mess that up, don't da da da. Like, can there be a more relaxed feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, I, f- I think growing up on the beach <laughs> <laughs> and growing up yeah. with brothers, you know, yeah. I definitely, um, you know, and my, you know, my, again, my parents, it's like, you know, we were taught to take care of things, but to hold things very loosely, you know, that, and I think, you know, again, I, I really feel it, you know, I think I knew it in my head, but 
experiencing loss and you just oh my god oh yeah okay sorry uh, all of a sudden i thought that uh, we, my thing had stopped yeah that we had poured safe. water all over your computer pretty much um you know that you can't take any of it with you yeah you know so and i think that is having a, it's such an incredible gift every day to because you want to teach values you know you want him to learn how to value things and take care of things and take care of his toys and you know have consequences when things are not being taken care of because they break yeah so there's that fine line between um you know being a responsible human being and being respectful like being not only respectful to humans but respectful to our things like that instilling yeah, respect. I agree. You know? I cherish things. Yeah. I, mean, I think we both have that relationship, even to like what we just described about the energy of what we have in our home and right. stuff. It's the, it is a nice, ultimately, hopefully a nice balance you strike where you, you cherish and respect, but, it's but not you the hold end of the it very world. loosely. You, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I mean, I definitely, I don't know things. I, I, again, I've, I, I think I've, become I'm much more of a collector of people than things you know I'm I want to I want to get to the point I don't think I'm there yet but I think the journey I hope to be on is to just be very um malleable and mobile and, and that making sure that my priorities are on people's hearts you know like that definitely like even even tonight actually you know my son I was putting him down to sleep and he was really tired and He's kind of, you know, getting a little bad attitude and saying some things that were not very nice to his mommy. Like what did he say? Um, <laughs> you don't have to say if you don't want to. <laughs> you know, uh, what What was some of the zingers that he said? <laughs> oh, zingers. <laughs> I mean, he's four. He zinged you. Yeah. Oh, it was really funny. He was like, mommy, I'm tired. Just let me be. <laughs> you know? <laughs> ah, and then ah. he like flopped open his legs. And I, I, of course, I burst out laughing, you know, but that that gentle place of of you know letting him develop his personality and and you know but then not spill milk on the coffee table because you know we want to keep the coffee table for a while but not it being a big deal like it's such a, i don't know it is i just feel like i'm on the journey with it myself you know to hold things very loosely i had a really good lesson in that um I had been eyeing this Michael Kors belt <laughs> for like, mm-hmm. for, you know what I mean? Where you get something in your life and you're like, that's supposed to be in my life, yeah. but it's expensive. And then you're like, mm, I don't know if I want to spend the money on it, but you kind of keep an eye on it. And then it comes, keeps coming. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know you guys. Like maybe this belt's supposed to be in my life. Like maybe this belt's supposed to be in my life. And so I saw the belt, like it was like this really cool leather, like kimono belt. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the thing. Like this is the thing you guys. And it was on sale for like a hundred dollars at you know Michael Kors store, and like oh my gosh, and I got it. I mean, it's a really like this really crazy expensive belt because it was like an art piece. I felt it was an art piece, and so um, I got it, and um, I it accidentally got thrown away. Like it was in a box, and like as oh, things were being cleaned out, it accidentally got thrown there. away. Been there, it, right? Yeah, and I got one. I'm gonna tell you right after. Okay, this. okay, good. So I remember just having this urge to be like, to freak out. You know, I remember like very clearly, like it was like time started to slow and freak out because it was like money and time and expenditure. And then, and I literally just in the same breath was like, the belt was too important to me. <laughs> yeah, the belt was too important right? to me. Like, you know, and, and, and the hope that 
what I really hoped was that in its recyclable afterlife that it had entered, (laughs) that someone found it and was enjoying the belt. You know what I mean? But I feel like that's a constant journey of life is like I got mustard on, you know, like just, just that balance of, I love it. Mustard on the shirt, you know what I mean? Something brand new mustard on the shirt and it just keeps things in perspective. Yeah. Here's mine real quick because this was a, this was a rough one and it wasn't even a rough one in the sense that it was about the expense of something, but in terms of like, you'll value it. Okay. So there's this place in, uh, in Manhattan that I love to go. Uh, when I'm there, it's like a vintage jewelry store oh, cool. and it's not an expensive vintage jewelry mm. store. It's not like in the Lower East Side where like they just hike everything up. They Jeez, like, Louisa. Sc- sc- you know, scrounge lot yard sales and then yeah, suddenly yeah. something's Vintage like shopping is my hobby when I'm on location. So Ditto. I totally yes. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, but this place is really great cause it does have some like really collectible, beautiful pieces. If people want to come in and get vintage engagement rings and stuff like that, they can. Um, but they also just have like great you know, drawers that you can just rummage through and, you know, little like Bakelite bracelets that aren't that expensive mm-hmm. and little scarves and stuff. They just have a really nice assortment and you can go in there and like buy a brooch for five bucks or you can go in there and spend, it's called Pippin. Pippin? Pippin jewelry. And I'll, I'll send you the link. It's Eagles in Chelsea. Belong where they can ramble. <laughs> I just, like, I just love that musical so much. <laughs> it is. I, listen, it might be named after that for all I know. So I was, I was there and they had like, um, they have like, you know, like an old, like old printers drawers where they just, they're thin drawers and then the little tags on them that say like, you know, circle brooches, mm-hmm. um, tie pins. Mm-hmm. And they had one that was just like a, a mishmash of stuff. It was just like random. And I opened it up and I was like, yeah, just like kind of futzing around. And there's like this vintage ID bracelet, like this brass vintage ID bracelet that's really old, but it's totally intact. And it has my initials, JV. <gasps> no way. And I was like, <gasps> and it was only like five bucks. Mm. And it was adorable. And I was like, oh my God, what are the chances? So sweet. There's no other ID bracelets. There's nothing, there's nothing even remotely resembling this. It's just sitting there. And so I bought it and I was so excited and it just felt like it was one of those things where you feel like the universe is showing you that there's a purpose, you mm. know, and I don't necessarily even believe that all the time, but mm. like the next person, I do enjoy those moments where you mm. feel like everything is as it should be. Yeah. I was meant to, you know, everything was and working I bought towards it. this moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought it and I put it on and you felt so good. And by the end of the day, gone. No, <laughs> I mean I had How? it. How? I just fell off. It just fell in the, off on the streets of Manhattan. No way. I got to enjoy it for what, like was it less a class? Than six hours. Was it a class mm-hmm. situation? It was a class. Did you cry? I I was so. I kind of had the crying feeling, mm-hmm. but I was so perplexed. I think the immediate thing that I felt, even before I was like wanted to cry, was. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did I find this mm. and get it and buy it and get it and only get to have it for six hours? Yeah, why only six well, hours? What's of joy? that supposed to teach me? But I guess I sort mm-hmm. of did go. Well, I got. I was. It was really exciting to find it. Maybe it was more exciting in that moment to find it and to know and to feel that moment of connectedness than it was for me to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's so funny. I was thinking about this the other day too. It was in the Whole Foods parking lot, and 
um, this woman had dropped a penny and, and I was like, Oh, do you, you, you know, kind of behind her, like, Oh, you dropped your penny, you know, would you like it? And she looked and she was like, no, no, no. For someone who really wants, you know, some, yeah. for someone else. Like, yeah. and I made me think like, Oh, that's such a cool little practice of like dropping a penny or leaving it for someone else. Cause you know that, and it was heads up too. And like literally within two seconds, someone came by and swooped it up and it like made their day like, like a heads up penny and I got gave, so I got you to gave see. someone over good <laughs> luck I know yeah it's just so funny I like little pay I mean that literally is like the most tiny version of pay it forward but mm-hmm. I really do like and I wish that would have been a better movie um but I really do <laughs> I like idea. that I like that feeling I like making those small decisions when and listen I, I don't want this to turn into like we just patting ourselves on the back of how awesome we are but I do love like those moments where for whatever reason, either it's because you're in a bad mood and you somehow see th- yourself through with a kind act or you're in a great mood, which is, it's really easy to be generous, right? Yeah. It's like giving at the holidays. But if either one of those, just that moment where you're like, I know I'm only going to be at this meter for 15 minutes. I'm using my credit card. I'm going to go ahead and get the whole yeah. two hours. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and let somebody yeah. enjoy the one hour and 45 minutes on me. Totally. Totally. Those those are nice. I think that's, you know, I mentioned it earlier. That's on lots of different scales. That's how my father lived his life. And I didn't even know the capacity of it until after he was gone. And I definitely hope that I get to be a giver. Like, I mean, he was just a giver and big giver. And I'd love to be a big giver, you know. Were you so stunned when you saw, when all those people were there? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I think I was most stunned how everyone felt such a personal connection to him. And because he was always my father, you know, sure. and I knew he was a famous surfer and I'd been to all the surf contests and um, I'd seen all the magazines, you know, and I'd seen the trophies and all the ads. And but the surfing world is definitely, you know, secular. It's uh, and it's also counterculture, too. So it's not, you know, it's not the thing that is most in our, you know, yeah, you're like, if you're in that world, obviously you're seeing it as you're seeing it, but you were also seeing the rest of the world and that like, that it didn't necessarily have. Totally. It's not like he was Kennedy or yeah. yeah. I just didn't realize how much the community, how much he had affected the community. I mean, having the businesses there and just the way that he lived his life. I mean, I felt it directly. I mean, I felt it the most, like I was the receiver, the receiver of, most of the kind. So I knew how I felt. I just didn't know the ripple effects of his life. And yeah, it's just really moving. You know, you definitely feel a great responsibility, especially being his daughter. And, you know, he's my best friend too. So just kind of wanting to um, keep the legacy going. Yeah. I think we as a family feel that responsibility. And Does your mom feel looked after by the community above and beyond kind yeah of. everyone's been really i mean my mom's super strong i mean like yeah. she is like yeah so i certainly don't mean to say like i would say that too if your mom had been absolutely person, you, know what I mean? you know i mean there's that fine line with her you know sometimes i feel like she's so independent and so strong and so um that you know i wonder is she is she having the right balance but then i see she's really open with people too about how she's doing and no i mean neighbor everybody is holding her you know in some capacity and um it's beautiful you know it's really beautiful to see 
That's lovely. <laughs> um, God, we didn't really talk that much about your adolescence, but we kind of did. Oh, yeah. That's how this oh, podcast work is. It, it always ends up sort of being... You want to talk about my bongo, the my bon- the bongo years, I like to call them. Remember bongo? Guess and bongo were oh, like the two big brands yeah. when I was in middle school. Yeah. Fifth grade to middle school. I, forgot I was actually about thinking bongo. about that today because I was looking at the spring fashion shows. I think it was... Maybe it was Calvin Klein. I don't know. It was literally just a progression of color of like, you know, color from head to toe. And it was like a few different brands that kind of, you know, or designers have been pursuing this like, you know, n- not just a pop of color. It was but a like, whole outfit of color. And that's what Bongo red. was, was like royal blue jean right. shorts, royal blue button up shirts, royal blue Benetton was kind of like that too. Yeah, totally. Like they just went for it. Like yeah. here's a, a bright canary yellow head to toe look. Yeah, totally. And that's, it's kind of coming back this spring. So I'm very curious to see. Cause that, that when I see that, I'm like Bongo, like that's, yeah. that's, what I remember. that's all like in the item magenta. I had a red and I had a Royal blue and I wore white kids and I was very envious of all the girls who had a more multicolored wardrobe because they were more popular and I was oh, just trying man. to fit in and make sure that my shorts were just <laughs> below, but just above my fingertips. So like I had to raise my shoulders cause we had that, that rule that you had to, um, like you, your shorts had to be longer than your fingertips. I wonder in school. if we had that. I was so self-conscious about my body that I would never have even potentially violated any dress like code. When, when, when did you become self-conscious about your body? As long as I can remember. Really? You'll oh, see so pic- there's pictures of me like there's pictures of me like in grade school and junior high where you will see that like every other girl is in a bathing suit and I have like a t-shirt and and shorts on. Interesting. I just never felt comfortable. How do you feel? Like what was your progression? Like do you know what ignited that or what triggered that? And how has that been? Because I mean, I'm a woman too and I totally, I remember the moment where I started to become self-conscious and started to doubt my It's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, certainly there, yeah, there are definitely pictures of me as a little kid where like I clearly don't care and don't have any Mm -hmm. idea. Um, I do feel like it started really early for me. I just feel like it's a really good question and I don't know the answer. Mm. Yeah. I remember, mm. I mean, I remember like bathing suits in the eighties and being like, that's not, I, that won't look good on me. Like, Mm. like I don't have, and, and somewhere along the line, and this is, I think this is very, I guess I've never articulated it like this before, but I think it's actually quite an interesting representation of other fearful choices that I made for mm. a long time in my life, which is that I think that I would ha- I would, wow, I'm having like an Oprah moment with yeah. you on my own podcast. Uh-huh. This is incredibly careless. All your fans are going to be like, shut the fuck no, up. No, no, no. I'm hanging I every word. would have rather, I'm attractive enough and I had a nice enough body mm. that I would have rathered be covered up and have people assume that I had a nicer body than reveal more of my body and show what I consider to be flaws Mm. that you wouldn't necessarily think would be there. Mm. And I think that that stands in for emotional choices that I also made with like being afraid to pursue this career mm. because, or being afraid to overachieve or being, being afraid to try hard at things that I wasn't necessarily immediately good at mm. because 
it was so scary to fail that I think I thought I would rather have, and I, this I have talked about on the podcast before because a lot of us are like this, but that you'd rather have someone think, wow, if she just applied herself, she could be really great, but instead she's just pretty good at that mm-hmm. instead of, oh my God, she really applied herself and she was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Failing forward. Failing forward. So yeah. I think there was a, I think it took me a longer than it would, than it should have mm-hmm. for me to finally go, you know what? Whatever. Well, how, whatever. When did you get to the whatever moment, do you think? Um, I don't know. I it, it wasn't until, I guess I had, it, I mean, I definitely was like in my, probably my mid-20s maybe. And there's, I don't want to misrepresent myself. I definitely was like doing a bunch of stuff and the people were like, you're weird. And I was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But it was all stuff I was comfortable with and yeah. that I felt safe about. So you can be, I think, the most extroverted person and make care think crazy decisions and do be a maven and start trends and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think people can do that. And everyone assumes that means they have all the self-confidence in the world. All that has to mean is whatever level that they're operating on, they might be able to be so much more confident and so much more authentic, Mm -hmm. but they still aren't realizing their full potential. So Mm -hmm. somebody could be, you know, the best singer in the world, but they're not taking their chances at doing something else that yeah. they truly love. Hmm. But everyone's like, oh, she's so emboldened. Look at her. He's so amazing. He's such an amazing whatever. He's such an amazing poet. Yeah. But really what he wants to do is write screenplays. But he can't write. He can't let himself write screenplays. He's yeah. like, I'd rather just let everyone think I'm the best poet there is than do this thing that I'm actually terrified by that I really want to do. Yeah. Gosh, it's so that's so in line with... I don't know. Just I feel like everything that I'm going through right now. I mean, I, I at this part of the journey, you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I that's just something I hope. Like I, I hear your words and I listen to what you're saying, and I I think it's such great examples. And and I and I feel that I, I think I think something that I'd love to move toward, and you know, however long it takes, is is just the willingness. I, I don't feel myself circling it but just the willingness mm. to fail and and fail forward and and to be bad yeah. <laughs> you know i've i've definitely become so much more interested in being flawed and terrible than being perfect like there's it was a shift and I, th- I think a lot of it was being pregnant kind of at a younger age like you know having the experience of um uh, pregnancy, which is amazing and getting super fat, like, like super fat, like just like eating my way through LA. I mean, I could tell you that every sweet great. potato fry and lemonade stand oh, I love it. <laughs> within a 15 mile radius. Um, great. and also feeling really close to the earth and really, f- I just felt purpose for my body and cause everything is purposeful. You know, I think before as you know, having the same, um, insecurities and, and, and also I love, you know, as women, I, I, um, a man that I know said recently, men look at the whole picture. They're not looking at the details and women. We are so focused on the detailed flaws. We can't see the full picture. Yeah. Like it's completely opposite. And, and so what we don't want to do for the opposite sex is ruin the view, you know? So like, you don't want to undermine or devalue how someone else is appreciating the other form or even the view out in front of us. But, um, you know, I just something about 
being so grounded and feel, I mean, you feel it from the tips of your toes, to the top of your head, that every single molecule and every single vessel in your body is being used for a purpose. Whereas mm. before, you know, living in LA and being a mostly out of work actor, I spent so much time like, like, working on my exterior and interior, but really just like, Oh, well, what am I going to do today? You know, I'm going to work out or I'm going to, and it's so empty. Like it became so empty and so futile to me. And, and then when my body had purpose, just something shifted. And I just, I just got so much more okay with being a mess, you know, like just kind of being where I was. And, and that became so much more interesting. And then the act of childbirth is so messy and so crazy (laughs) that it's like, you know, I don't know, just really quote unquote opened me up to to just, you know, to, to being to, to a whole other side of humanity and to our capability. And, and so, yeah, I just kind of like have been trying to move in that direction of, of being so much more adventurous. Like I feel it internally. I went to Costa Rica recently. My friend Perry Reeves, who is famous from Entourage, she played Ari Gold's wife on the show. She's a really, really close friend of mine, wonderful human being. And she has spent the last seven and a half years of her life as she was on Entourage building this yoga retreat called the Sanctuary at Two Rivers, which is so devastatingly beautiful and off the beaten path. You take a plane to San Jose and then you take a puddle jumper to Montezuma and then you take a truck ride 45 minutes and they drop you off at the bottom and you got to walk a mile up the hill. And uh, it's amazing. You walk through these two beautiful rivers and it's kind of architectural digest meets, you know, very simple yoga retreat standards and, like Costa Rica cabins in the woods. And I kind of went there for a cleansing, you know, like a jungle can hold my pain trip. And yep. Perry was a so jungle can hold my pain. It was I love it. totally. Um, and Perry was kind enough. She just opened it in April. So we were the first group that went home so with me, uh, myself and six friends and went, and we kind of turned it into this creative yoga, um, uh, <laughs> life changing retreat. And, um, just going down there and, like really getting messy, like really being so connected. And it's, it's a blue zone. There's only like six in the world where people live. It's a most concentrated area where people live to over a hundred. And the only thing that they can connect it to is that people live in community and they say hi to each other. And, um, and also they're much more, the photosynthesis there is happening at a more rapid rate. And so I got to spend some time there just, just having an, an outpouring and, and I, I, I mentioned that because, you know, I do feel like, you know, you're just further along on the journey, whatever you're moving toward. And part of that was just moving toward and moving into, into, um, the imperfection of life and moving towards, you know, the ground. I don't know. It's, it's know. hard. Like, it's hard. I, like if there's I something, totally the ground understand. is becoming so much more important to me. And, but I remember a shift inside me where I was like, I am less afraid yeah. of being wrong. I and, feel the you same know, way. and I remember it was like, we were on a waterfall and it was that thing where I remember before, I don't remember when before was, but it was before I would have been fearful or been more self-conscious, you know, and we're in bathing suits the whole time. And I literally had like 
the worst diaper rash. Like I looked, I looked like a, a, a sign when I went to Costa Rica. I looked like a sign that says Gringles don't come here. Like I had a sunburn <laughs> no. and I had a diaper rash and like my hair turns, <sighs> my hair like grows in volume in super humid climates of, of, you know, 10 times. I mean, yeah. I, I throw like, it was just, it was hilarious. Like that's what everyone was saying. Like you do kind of look like a poster child for do not come to Costa Rica. <laughs> but then like after three days of adjusting and like the 20,000 mosquito bites, I was totally fine. They were like over me. Remember this moment on the waterfall where, you know, jumping over the edge, I would have had that moment of just extreme self-consciousness or um, kind of in a way like my arms out, like a distance to me and the experience. And I just remember it wasn't, it was like so fluid. I didn't have the fear. Like, I don't know what happened, but wherever that was just a a marker. Yeah, Yeah. it was very present. And I was a marker. I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I just want now I, I just want to keep moving in that direction. I don't know exactly how I got here, but just the simple act of seeking or saying, I want that over there and I'm going to keep moving toward, you know, messiness or imperfection or not having to be good and flaws being more, much more interesting to me than, yeah. than, uh, you know, something seemingly perfect. You know, I was just like, okay, like, yeah, I'm going to keep moving towards, it. I don't know what that means and I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to crack it. I'm not, I'm not going to crack it, but I'm just enjoying moving toward it. And I think the enjoyment of the journey is, has been a, you know, just a revelation for me and, and helping me release myself from wanting to wear the too big shirt and the baggy shorts, yeah. covering up the idea, the imagination. There's power, very powerful, the imagination of flaws, but you know, really wanting to, to wear that place inside of me. That is it really about the, you know, igniting the imagination or is it about covering up my insecurity? So yeah. it's a fine line. You know? Oh my God. I, uh, we've gone so far over an hour. Oh, it's we have? Oh, okay. Comical, but <laughs> I can't think of a better way to end other than that I could talk to you for two more hours. I would probably fall asleep during... We would both yeah. fall asleep. We would wake up and it would be like... It would have <laughs> like looped onto itself again and erased everything. And it just would have been dead silence with maybe some snores. By the way, we're talking to each other through a tin can. Yeah. Like, and she's in a wind... She's in the house next door. Yep, I'm, <laughs> I've got my hands up, up, like my face propped up with my elbows on the windowsill and yeah. we're talking. Abigail, what oh my a joy. Gosh. JV, Abby, Abby, JV, um, JV. I am so glad that I uh, pursued you. Like I wanted to date you for this podcast because I knew this was going to be exactly what it was. Hmm. And um, and guys, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I, I found it uh, ridiculously inspiring and um, gently inspiring. Like Event Nicole Brown's episode, which will have come out also recently. Uh, it was a big hit too. It was very like fiery inspiring like yeah and this feels like beautiful like introspective sit with the feelings that it stirs up for you and really let the inspiration kind of whisper itself Mm. in your ear and i just think that that's um it's a it's a really it's been a really special episode so it comes from you thanks for thanks for igniting this whole you know these talks it's it's super wonderful and again so much out of it i mean i'm basically getting therapy for free amazing okay well i'm going to point in the direction of someone much more qualified than i but um you know thank you and i'm so glad we met through burning love i mean who would who would have thunk about this little like eight day exploration and i know we could start a whole weird burning reality show based on like all Dude, how, how great all the women. I think were some people that. would be really happy about that. You're probably right. You're probably right. Um, all right, guys. Well, okay. thanks so much, and thanks Thank again, you. Abby. And uh, we'll see you next time on the podcast. Bye. Bye.
always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.